You are listening to a podcast from Essendon Presbyterian Church in Melbourne, recorded 6 p.m. on April 2, 2023, presented by Reverend Len Pierce. Well, in Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, the Apostle Paul gave testimony about his conversion. And he said, When God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. When God was pleased to reveal his Son in me. So the question arises, Immediately, does God live in you and in me? He didn't say, when it pleased God to reveal his son to me, which you might expect. He said, when it pleased God to reveal his son in me. And then in verse 24, I notice it wasn't quite the same in my version, but it is the same in the Greek. I checked it out. In verse 24, He says, they glorified God in me. In chapter 2, verse 8, he speaks of God working effectively in me towards the Gentiles. And then chapter 2, verse 20, he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In, 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 and in. How important is this little preposition in? The whole of the Christian life is really encapsulated in this tiny word. All of salvation is captured in this tiny little word. Because without Christ in you, there's no salvation and there's no Christian life. The test is whether or not Christ lives in you, which means God in you. God lives in you. Just think how great is God as we come to think about this amazing truth that God lives in us as believers. His greatness is seen by us in the creation of the universe with an unknown number of stars and maybe billions of galaxies even. The stars are uncountable. Reaching into infinity. And of course he's greater than his whole creation. That's how great he is. And yet this same true and living God lives in the believer. Can that really be true? That this amazing, infinite God lives in the believer. It's no more impossible than God to be in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. That's another incredible thing, isn't it? That Christ himself was God and man and uh, in the one person. How can God himself be contracted down to just a span, as the hymn says, inconceivably made man? How can all the fullness of the Godhead have been in Christ, in the Lord Jesus Christ? 
and almost certainly this tiny little speck of dust. The Earth, swirling around its sun with all the other planets. This Earth is almost certainly the centre of the universe. Even some evolutionists these days are saying the Earth could be the centre of everything. Because size isn't important to God, is it? It's got nothing to do with importance as size with God. And this in the sense that God did an incredible thing here on the Earth that he, we believe he hasn't done anywhere else in the universe. In that he created a creature, man, us, in his image. That's just mind-boggling to me that the pinnacle of his whole creation on day six was to create us in his image. Less than little specks of dust, which the earth actually is, of course, in the universe. It was an absolutely audacious and incredible, unbelievable, brilliant thing for God to do. And then when this creature that he created in his image rebelled, he rescued us, and not only rescued us, but came to live in us, the redeemed souls that he rescued. All incredible and wonderful. Another incredible thing, as we think of the creation and the creator living in the believer, think of all the miracles in the Old Testament and in the New, and this miracle, I think, is greater by far. It, in fact, this is Christ's first miracle, not the turning of the water into wine. His first miracle was this wonderful creation, Christ the Creator, himself the Creator. Do you really believe that, that Christ is the Creator? He was the Creator? The one who walked on the earth, that man, God, created everything? Because that's the orthodox Christian belief, really. John chapter 1, without him, that is Christ, there's nothing made that was made. Colossians chapter 1, 16, for by him, that is Christ, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, all things were created through him and for him. That's Christ the creator. And that should just blow our minds if we really think about it. He created everything within the Trinity, of course, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, the creator. So life in all its forms is an incredible miracle and we are made in the image of God and there's nothing else in all creation like man. We're greater than all the billions of galaxies, the infinite universe above us, because we are the pinnacle of his creation, in his image, created in his image. And this creator God lives now in the believer. Those galaxies, I believe, that are above us and around us are the backdrop 
to the earth as the stage where God did his most amazing work in creating man. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 19 says, <clears throat> The sun, the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. The universe is our heritage. God made it all for man to enjoy and to display his glory and his, and his being, of course. But for man he did it. He created it on, on day four. And it would seem from the first verses of Genesis that the earth was the centre. In the beginning he created the heavens and the earth. And only on day four, the sun, the moon and the stars. He began with the earth. And this creator God now lives in the believer. That's also mind-boggling, isn't it? That's why Jesus said, that's how we're saved. That's how we live the Christian life. That's why we must be born anew of God. Born of God, as it says in John chapter 1. There's no other Christian life than this Christian life. To just say, I believe, is just your brain working. It's not your life. It's not your coming to God in repentance and faith to be born anew. Christ, who is God, must live in us. So Peter says, what sort of person you and I ought to be? What kind of people should we be? if the living God who created the universe lives in each one of us. How do we, how do we fathom that even? But it's real, isn't it? We, we have the experience when God causes us to be born anew. In 1 John chapter 4, I'd just like to read you these verses. Again and again, John in this epistle speaks about God being in us. 1 John chapter 4, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Isn't that amazing and wonderful? In Galatians 1, again, Paul testified that his beginning experience was when his son, the son of God, was revealed in him. All through the scriptures we had this wonderful truth. In John chapter 14, Jesus speaks of the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Then in verse 20, In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Then towards the end of his high priestly prayer in John 17, he says, I in them and you in me. And then at the last verse of his high priestly prayer, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. 
Again, the amazing effect and truth of this tiny little word in, how meaningful it is, how wonderful it is. The riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, again in Colossians chapter 1. He shone in our hearts. He's not just with us, around us, in front of us, over us, beside us. He's in us. He must be in us for us truly to be Christian. Christ in you. So Paul's heart cry from uh, the message we had this morning, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, to prove ourselves, to test ourselves, whether or not Jesus Christ is in us. So Paul cries out again in Galatians chapter 4, My little children, for whom I labour in birth again until Christ is formed in you. That's the cry of the pastor, isn't it? Caring for his flock. Labouring in birth again until Christ is formed in you. So again in Ephesians, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. There's no other Christian life. It's not an add-on for special believers. It's not an optional extra, but the essence of the Christian life for all who are saved, to have God living in us. You know, we Christians today are actually better off than the 12 disciples who walked with Jesus in Galilee, listened to him for three years, learned from him, walked the roads with him, watched him perform miracles. We are better off than those 12 disciples. They were with him in his presence, but Christ could not be in them until he was ascended and sent forth his spirit into their hearts. What we have in Christ in us, I believe, is worth more than all the gold bullion and all the vaults of the world. That's how precious it is for us. Have you ever asked yourself why it was that Peter, after he'd seen the risen Lord, and you think, having seen him and, and, and handled him and been with him and heard him, he would have started evangelizing. He would have started racing around Jerusalem, telling everybody that he's alive. But what did Peter do after he'd seen the risen Lord? He said to six of his mates, I'm going fishing. And off they went fishing. Isn't that incredible that they did that? I, I, I've often thought about it. Why would they do that when they already knew? But the thing was, they had no inner power. They, had, they didn't have Christ in them yet to drive them and to get them evangelizing, to get them speaking to people and preaching. And Peter, probably in bewilderment, just responded by going back to the job he knew, knew best. This is the only Christian life, the only salvation life, and it's the born-again life. What I've done in life won't contribute one iota to my salvation. I know that, not the slightest. This January, by the grace of God, I've been a Christian for 60 years since I was 21. 
I've almost been to Timbuktu to take the gospel to the Bedouins in the Sahara Desert. I've run beach missions, I've been a Presbyterian minister, served in Yemen, Sudan and Socotra for 25 years. But every single thing is no use to contribute to my salvation. And the lack of assurance of our salvation, I believe, comes from trying to contribute to it. Just recently here in Essendon on the street, a young man came up to me and he said, uh, are you a Christian? I said, yes. He said, well, I'm a Christian too. But he said, I'm always doubting whether I'm saved. How can I be sure that I'm saved? How can I be sure that I really know the Lord? And I said to him two things. It's very simple. The first thing is you have to say to God, well, you believe. But then you have to say to God, you lay aside everything that you think you can do to help with your salvation, whatever it is. Your good works, your church going, your witnessing, whatever you do, put it aside. It's no use for you to be saved. And tell God you know that. And then the second thing is just to say to the Lord, Lord, I know you finished the work. You died on the cross for me. It's all of you. It's all by grace. I can do nothing. I'm just trusting all that you've done. Forsake and turn to him only as the only saviour. He said, oh, that's good. Thanks for telling me that. And off he went with a spring in his step. So it obviously helped. But we try and save ourselves so often, don't we, by the things we do. And good is not good enough because the standard is perfect. You have to be perfect in God's eyes. And you are if he himself lives in you. There's nothing you can do except to believe. And to be born again, you must invite him into your life and know him to be really saved. Our service, of course, is just a response of love to all that he's done for us. And with God in Christ living in you, what sort of person ought you to be? What sort of person ought I to be? To have the living God living in us. It's, can you answer that question? What sort of person ought you and I to be, really? If we believe the things we believe, and if we know the things we know, the things we experience. We've certainly got to be different, but there has to be something of the supernatural about us. There has to be something of the superhuman even about us if we really know God in that way. Because you don't own yourself anymore. You belong to another. You belong to God. He possesses you. You don't make your own decisions. They're his decisions as you pray to him to know what to do. And as you tell him that there's nothing that you count that you have that belongs to you. It all belongs to him, your whole life, and everything you have. And that's why Paul in Galatians chapter 2 said, It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So this is the most important thing I can tell you this evening, I believe. 
or in fact any time that I can tell you anything is just to say this that God lives in you you belong to him you're saved if he lives in you the blood of Christ is applied to your life yes we must examine ourselves to be sure but there's no other way to be saved than Christ in you and that being true what sort of people we ought to be amen let's pray <clears throat> thank you Lord for your wonderful salvation it's just beyond us to comprehend with our human minds all that was involved but we know it's true Lord our own experience tells us it's true your word tells us it tells us it's true and what we see of your hand at work around us and through us and in us also tells us that it's all true take our lives Lord all we have all we are to follow you to be fishers of men to love you and trust you with all the heart soul mind and strength and to love our neighbors ourselves this is your work Lord we hand everything over to you we pray your blessing on this fellowship here as we seek to do your will together to seek growth and people added to your church added to the number of believers Lord we want you to work your work for your own glory and we just commit the whole work of this fellowship to you in the time ahead show us the way to go bless our pastor and his wife thank you for them guide them Lord in all that they do among us in their ministry to us we know Lord their hearts desire must be to see Christ formed in us too as the direction of their ministry we pray you'll just bless them in that resolve and endeavor as well so Lord we commit our way to you now as we head into the new week whether we're working or witnessing or all that we do Lord just bless us and bless those we come in contact with lead us in the way we should take we pray all this as we thank you again for your wonderful word that it's a living word living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword thank you Lord for that thank you too it's the bread of life to us we don't live by bread alone we live by the word of God in our lives and we just praise you for that and thank you for that provision for us as we commit one another to you now and all our loved ones we bring them all to you in Jesus name Amen